You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. As a straight white male, I already check all the boxes. Then add that I'm a Christian and a conservative and American, and that I'm husband to a stay-at-home wife and mother, and that we have eight children and homeschool them. If you too check those boxes, we are the oppressor. We are the villain. Behold the bogeyman. It is us. All that's wrong with the world is ultimately our fault. There is no winning this game except to surrender all power to others and abdicate. Give everyone else a turn at winning and sit this one out. Though even there, abdication is no guarantee of absolution. Once the vacuum is created and things fall into shambles, that too will be our fault, most assuredly. And if times are good anyway, and we succeed after a fashion, they will say we built our so-called success at the expense of the less fortunate. We didn't build that. Someone else built that. Our gains rightly belonged to the losers, and our earnings should actually be defined as stealings. No wonder average testosterone levels in men are dropping like a rock in recent decades. Testosterone levels increase in fans of winning sports teams, and our team has not been winning. But it's more than that. Our team is not supposed to win, and it feels these days like it's not even allowed to win. Check out, and you will be called a quitter and a wimp, and you might be pitied as a victim to some folks. But we've already established that personal suffering does not make one virtuous, so don't expect accolades and praise in that direction either. If anything, the pity will feel like salt in a wound, when there's nothing for it except to wait until the payback quota is said to have been filled, and the cup of wrath is drained against us. But double down and get in there anyway, and you will be criticized, win, lose, or draw. There is just no avoiding it. For every win, the clock will be reset, and the bitter jealous ones will say this or that egalitarian cause has been set back, and thus they will justify redoubling their efforts. What does it mean to be good men in such circumstances? Perhaps we shrug, shake off the petty and incessant criticism, work as unto the Lord anyways. And maybe what it means to be good men is that we turn our back on the frivolous, unscrupulous naysayers and walk away from them. They're not really listening anyway, except if you count their tireless quest to find something they can use against us. But in that case, we might as well dig into what God's Word says about what is true and good and beautiful. Think on these things. Hang our hat on that. Kick up our aching feet beside that fire at the end of the day. Don't misunderstand me. The ultimate goal is not to get our testosterone levels back to pre-war levels, but our ultimate goal is to love God and to serve him with all our being and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and to provide for the needs of our own households. Therefore, we men had better pay some attention to the sorts of things that go into facilitating or else in their absence erode our capacity. Only a silly person would say they don't have time to stop for gas when they're running on fumes. So what if you're already late for an appointment across town? You're not going to make it there at all, brother, unless you stop and fill up. 
and whatever the teeming throngs of godless, worthless ideologues want to say about both burning fossil fuels and contributing to society via toxic masculinity, however you define that anyways, at the end of the day, we are ultimately giving an account to our maker, not them. As Theodore Roosevelt once famously said in a speech at the Sorbonne in April of 1910, just 112 years ago this week, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming but who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who, at the best, knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. Maybe, just maybe, if we embrace that kind of advice and wisdom again, we will see not just our average testosterone levels rise, we'll see a lot of other attendant problems in society smoothed over and tamped down as well. And maybe, just maybe, that mindset is the functional equivalent for men of stopping for fuel when your gas tank is approaching E. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 379 of this podcast. Today is April 27th, 2022. And that that I just read for you was also Garrett Ashley Mullet. That was yours truly. In the write-up for yesterday's podcast episode, What It Means to Be Good Men, you can go back and check out that episode. It's just one back. It's the one from yesterday talking about what it means to be good men. But today I want to talk about a couple of things. First of all, I mentioned in yesterday's podcast episode that we had an inspection coming up. Our property management company was going to come and take a look at our house that we are renting. We have been renting this house since September of 2019. So this coming fall, our lease is up for renewal again. And we might have a decision to make. I don't know. I know that there was mention of possibly raising our rent, but also during the inspection, the point was made that usually homes that are renting out for more than what ours is, uh, they're, they're in better condition. They are more updated than this home is. Lauren and the kids, for their part, they helped mightily over the past week to get the house ready, to get things cleaned up as best as we could. Our floors are in rough shape. There's no two ways about it. Two and a half years on top of the condition that they were in when we moved in. Uh, I would guess that the carpets, tiles, and the floating floor in the dining room have not been replaced for a good 10, 15, 20 years. That would just be my guess. And obviously, the family our size, all these kids, plus Lauren and I, plus guests, we have worn 
our floors uh, out in some places, even more than they already were. And so there's that, and our kitchen is a bit dated, and the doors and the windows are in rough shape, and our front porch could use painting. And I'll admit, we have killed the grass uh, pretty thoroughly. We've killed it in part because we've got a lot of little feet uh, running around. We've got a lot of little people. And I just, for my part, can't in good conscience tell all of our kids, hey, you can't be on the grass. What's the point of having a yard if the kids can't play in it? Riddle me that. But the consequence of kids playing in the yard is also that mm, it's going to get worn. Like the carpets and the tiles and the floating floor, the yard is going to get worn. And when it's already dry, what you get at a certain point is a yard full of dirt. And this is no small part of why we would like to move out to the country, but it's just not in the cards right now. And so I don't know how much we really need to be holding our hat and uh, apologizing for it. It just, it kind of is what it is. Uh, And yet it could present a bit of an issue. I mean, technically speaking, from my researches, if they wanted to play hardball, they could say, uh, it's right there in the lease agreement. You guys will take care of the yard. You're supposed to water it and mow it. It's like, well, okay, we're, we're not mowing it because it's dead. We have been trying to water it by hand. In the front, we seeded, overseeded, reseeded, and uh, it's just not it's just not coming in. We roped it off. She asked about that. Why is it roped off? I said, well, we've got all these kids. We've been trying to grow the grass back. We've tried to keep everybody off of it and keep it watered just with the hose. But it's just, it's not, it's not coming in. I don't know why. Uh, found out our controller for the sprinkler system, underground sprinkler system, is old and failed. And that might have been the case for a good bit of last year as well. Uh, we're not sure when it failed. It was set to come on in the middle of the night, and that is part of why if it did fail last year, we didn't catch it because we're not up in the middle of the night watching to see if the sprinklers come on, quite frankly. Uh, I don't know if some people do that, but it's just we have bigger fish to fry as we see it. And so the controller for the sprinkler system will probably be getting replaced here shortly. Our front porch might get painted. And the fact that our floors are in rough shape uh, might just be a bit of a saving grace as far as our rent going up to what the market in other parts of town and other parts of this area uh, is commanding. Uh, My suspicion is that the owner of the house contacted the property management company and said, hey, can we charge more? Can we charge these tenants a few hundred dollars more per month? And the property management company probably was thinking to themselves, well, not really. Their lease is good till September. Maybe we could take a look at it and maybe we can see. You know, see what it'll take to get it into a condition that we could rent it out for a few hundred dollars more. I don't know. I don't know if uh, they will try to raise the rent. I think they will. But really, from my researches, since our lease is good through September and there's nothing in the lease agreement that says they can just raise the rent anytime they please. And from my little bit of researches of the laws concerning these things in Colorado and in Greeley specifically, I think they have to give at least 60 days heads up. And I think also too, they have to 
have my agreement if they want to raise it prior to September. So they might send me an updated lease agreement and say, you need to sign this, or we'd like you to sign it if you'd like to live here for another year. And if there's a rate increase on that, or if there isn't, uh, I will almost assuredly have to be reminding them that uh, our lease isn't up until September, which is five months from now. So it's a bit of a reminder, quite frankly, that renting is not ideal. It's not an ideal scenario for a number of other reasons, but in this case, uh, the fact that somebody can just come through your house anytime, uh, it makes sense. I'm not, you know, bemoaning the fact that that comes with the territory of renting. I'm just saying, uh, you know, we'd like to own our own home again and not be subject to asking permission if we want to get something fixed or replaced or swapped out if we want to do something with it. Uh, you know, if we want to use it like the yard, for instance, uh, I'd like for us to own our own property again to where we don't have to apologize for the fact that our kids play in the yard. I can't keep them inside all the time. I mean, there's going to be wear and tear either inside the house or in the yard. And frankly, I, I would rather, we kind of spread out, evenly distribute the wear and tear. You know, we do have a park up the street, but, you know, when we first moved here, we sent our kids over there. We said, oh, that's great. It's, you know, it's a quiet street. You guys can ride your bikes over there. We got new bikes, so you can ride up and down the block and up and down the street, right over to the park. Very quickly, uh, sending our kids over to the park turned out to be not such a great course. Uh, there were just some really undisciplined kids that were over there and were using some pretty R-rated language, uh, pretty R-rated uh, conversation topics for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids to be routinely engaging in. Uh, they were abusive towards my kids. Uh, my kids, for their part, really weren't going to have an option to stick around unless somebody was going to get it in a fight. And there were threats, <laughs> there were threats issued from neighborhood kids at the park uh, that they were going to gang up on my kids and beat them up. And so at a certain point I went over, I had a chat with a couple of boys in particular who I got a report had uh, been hitting two of my boys with his belt. Uh, one, one boy was hitting our boys with his belt and they came home crying, angry, I think more angry and frustrated than actually hurt. But we basically said, uh, because of that, and also one of our boys coming home with a sex toy they found in the woods, just right off the grassy part of the park. Uh, you know, Hey dad, what's this? Oh, wow. Gross. That's really gross. That's what that is. And we're going to throw that away and you're going to wash your hands. And also maybe you guys are not going to go to the park. Maybe that's just what it is. Uh, we had a bit of an, an issue, uh, even just saying, okay, I want you guys to stay on this street. And if you guys, you older boys, if you're going to go for a jog around the block, I want you to go in pairs at least. If you're going to go for a bike ride around the block, up the street, around the corner, I want you guys to go in pairs. I don't want you going by yourselves. Uh, just some weird drive-by, ride-by 
um, animosity from some of these boys in the neighborhood. Uh, even on our own street, when we scaled it back to that, we had a couple of, I'm sorry, there's no other way to put it, a couple of rich, spoiled brats uh, who thought it was fun to run into one of my boys in the street on his bike and then yell at my son to watch where he's going. And meanwhile, my other boys, my older, oldest son, saw it all happen, yelled back at the kids. So then, you know, we've got the potential for a fist fight in front of our house because it was very deliberate. It was very intentional, as I'm told. And then these same boys are riding by the house and kicking over our bikes that are on the kickstand uh, in the driveway or on the sidewalk briefly, temporarily. And so then that turned into another potential almost altercation. I wrote their parents and said, hey, you know, this is happening. Your boys are trying to pick a fight with my boys. My boys aren't supposed to be getting in a fight, but I'm not going to tell them to just take it forever. At a certain point, they're going to run out of cheeks to turn here. Um, so you might want to get a handle on it. <laughs> so that was a conversation or two. Um, but that is to say, too, it's like, you know, yeah, it's kind of a quiet neighborhood, but also at a certain point, your your general culture in broader society uh, is going to be a collision point. And so what do I do? Do I say, okay, boys, you got to stay inside all the time and only read books and only play video games. Oh, but you can't play video games online either because you're going to run into people using bad language online as well. And, uh, and, oh, and, you know, and, and you can't play out in the yard cause you might kill the grass and you can't go over to the park cause there's just shenanigans going on over there to put it mildly. And you can't even ride up and down the street cause you got kids trying to pick on you there. At a certain point you just say, okay, you know what? Like we're going to do the best that we can as much as it depends on us. We're going to strive to live peaceably with all men. And then we're going to trust that the good Lord will give us wisdom and watch over us. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. You know, it, it does not all depend on us. It does not all depend on us to live peaceably with all men. And so it could be that the owner of this house shrugs and says, you know, yeah, we've deferred maintenance. Uh, they put in a work order. We did. We put in a work order for, a." gas fireplace that does not work in our dining room. It hasn't worked uh, really since two months, three months into us moving here. And the last verdict was it's going to need replaced. And so I put it in a work order. I said, hey, can we get this replaced? And they closed the work order. No explanation given. And it's like, well, okay, well, I guess we're on our own. Uh, we had a issue with our stove breaking, put in a work order for that. It was weeks and weeks and weeks of going back and forth with the owner about whether to replace or to repair, even though everybody's telling us you're not going to be able to repair it. Well, then he wants to check into it anyways and see if it's cost-effective, and then it turns out not to be, so they replace it anyways. It was it was ridiculous. We had some really intense rains that caused some flooding in the basement, and all our boys are down there. And so then we've got soaked carpets, and we're trying to do the best we can to get it cleaned up, but I call the property management company, and we've got you know, weeks long process of our basement just being all in disorder. And 
there's still some water damage down there. There's a little bit of a smell, a little bit of an odor. Uh, and so, you know, maybe the, the owner and the property management company take all that into consideration and they reckon, you know, we haven't put the money into this to make it nice, nice. And, uh, we'll just leave the rent where it is. Uh, hopefully that's the way that goes, but what do you do? Right? Like there's only so much you can do if they raise the rent, uh, or if we're going to have to look at trying to buy something here, uh, probably we're going to be selling our truck because we do have a auto loan on that. Uh, we do have a payment monthly on that and we could get some money out of that and, uh, use that to renegotiate some other debts that we have, you know, eliminate one payment and probably a couple others as well. So we could do that. Might come to that. Uh, there's also the potential of changing contract companies. And I need to have a conversation about that. Still trying to figure out how to have that conversation in a way that's considerate, respectful, not obnoxious, and uh, does not blow up in my face. Um, but anyway, you slice it, we're going to have to do some tweaking on our expense side and on our income side somehow, some way to get the cash flow to, to work. Uh, and so, you know, another thing too, Lauren's going to get back into sewing, trying to sew some things to sell. I'm going to keep working on my book, trying to write this book on marriage and hopefully that sells. And the, uh, the first book, maybe that'll sell some more copies as well. I'm really not marketing it except on this podcast, truth be told. And so we'll see, right? We'll see what happens with those things. But at a certain point, you just, you do all you can. And you say, God willing, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And, you know, I, I just, I'll unpack a little bit more, you know, why it is that I talked about what I talked about in yesterday's, yesterday's episode. Because I, I really don't want it to come across as, a gripe session, grumbling, complaining, murmuring. And I don't want it to be a pity party. Uh, I really don't want to be pitied. And and I don't want to be a, a, a grumbler and a complainer. And I know that the woke folks out there will invariably take what I'm saying here and be triggered by it. You know, here, you know, I'm talking about being a straight white male, like I'm the victim. No, I'm just saying it's, it is not fair. It is not fair to be penalized uh, on the basis of my gender, my sexuality, my ethnicity, my nationality, my religion and creed, my politics, uh, my family uh, situation. The fact that we are conservative means that a lot of folks look askew at us. And that's just, that. It, that is what it is. And, and because it's wrong, you know, there's a hypocrisy element to it. Because it's wrong, as I agree, to discriminate against somebody just because they're a woman. You're going to mistreat them, uh, put them in a certain box, talk down to them just because they're a woman. I think it's wrong to talk down to men just because they're men. Um, I think it's wrong to abuse somebody just because they are a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist uh, or an atheist. As a Christian, I believe it's wrong to abuse somebody just because we disagree on religion. If somebody's a Mormon, I don't count them as a brother in Christ, and yet I'm still going to be kind to them. I'm still going to treat them with dignity and respect because they're made in the image of God, right? Even if 
they're a radical Muslim, I have some disagreement, some very strong pointed disagreement for them on matters of theology and anthropology and politics. But I still am going to try and love them as my enemy because that's what I'm called to. That's what we're called to. So I hope it doesn't come across. I I hope yesterday's episode doesn't seem like a big pity party. Um, But somehow, some way, we have to be honest about what are the ramifications, right? This is not a cost-free equation when social justice is being pursued uh, on a corporate level, on a denominational level, on a societal level, at the national or state or local level. When social justice is being pursued, you're not just picking winners, you're picking losers too. And you're determining that however hard this person tries, we are going to hold our finger on the scales and keep some of their winnings from them. Uh, Twitter right now is all in an uproar because Elon Musk has purchased it. And I don't think the deal is final, final, final until the end of the year, sometime before the end of the year. So it might be a ways out. That's an, an interesting little detail. You know, it's one thing, like, let's say, in the case of the house that we just sold up in Montana, you know, it's one thing when you have somebody take a look at the house and they make an offer. And even when you accept the offer, until the ink is dry on all the documents and the money changes hands, it, it's not quite, quite a done deal yet. And they can't move in and start making changes until the title has officially been transferred. So, you know, it's important to realize <clears throat> Elon Musk has not officially taken over just yet. Those who are wise on the inside uh, will will realize, okay, it's just, it's, it is a done deal for all intents and purposes. It's a foregone conclusion. The offer has been made and accepted. And now the paperwork just gets drawn up and the money changes hands. Uh, but Twitter's in an uproar because you might just find that conservatives are more popular than ever on the platform. And I'm seeing headlines like there's one right here from Not The Bee. One day after Elon Musk bought Twitter, conservatives are seeing huge spikes in followers while libs are seeing sharp decreases. So here's a tweet screenshotted from Christopher Boozy, C. Boozy. Exclusive. Over the past 24 hours, Democrats have experienced a significant decrease in followers, while Republicans have experienced a significant increase in followers. Interesting. And I quote, In just 24 hours since Elon has purchased Twitter, some huge trends have been spotted in the number of followers for conservative and liberal tweeters. Conservative Twitter is seeing a huge boom, and lefty Twitter is jumping ship. This user thinks that the numbers are explained by an increase of conservative bots flooding Twitter. Cue eye roll. There's no concrete evidence of this presented, although Elon has made it a goal to get rid of the bot problem that's used to puff up follower counts. There are others who think the increase is from conservatives just flocking to Twitter while libs ditch the platform. There is perhaps another possibility in this one. Brace yourself. This is the one that I think is most uh, likely based on my researches and following these things, following big tech censorship for years now, being very frustrated, very concerned about it. Quote, maybe, just maybe, the suppression of conservatives and boosting of lefties have started to be peeled back 
After all, conservative voices have reported massive dips in numbers for years. And then they've got some screenshots for just sudden drop-offs of followers at different times. And, you know, what explains it? Except that you've got shenanigans. You've got uh, shadow banning. You've got the powers that be at Twitter, the administrators, uh, basically just deciding like, nope, this person is not following you anymore. That person's not following you. This whole swath of people is just not going to follow you anymore. Did they decide to not follow me? No. We're just going to turn off their following you. We're going to undo that. That was a mistake on their part. We're going to fix it for them. Uh, quote, here's Lauren Bobbert, who has been steadily gaining followers, suddenly gaining more than 43,000 new followers today. Uh, this was published the 26th, by the way. So that is uh, just yesterday. Ted Cruz has gained 51,000 since the Elon takeover. Florida's Ron DeSantis has 96,000 new followers in a single day. And the question that not to be asks is, how much was Twitter suppressing the governor? That's a great question. Jim Jordan has nearly 52,000 more followers as well. And there are a few more examples. Stacey Abrams lost 13,000. AOC lost 27,000. Bernie Sanders lost nearly 20,000 followers, all because Elon has taken over Twitter. There's a big action happening over at Twitter. It'll be interesting to see where the numbers end up when all the free speech opposers and bots leave the platform, end quote. Now, this is interesting, right? Because you you look at these kinds of numbers, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, almost 100,000 swinging one way or the other. And it almost sounds like there's a cyber war on, doesn't it? And I mean, it's fair. It's fair to ask, do we possibly have people coming back to Twitter, creating new Twitter accounts because they left over frustration that you just, you're not allowed to win. You're not supposed to win. You have to already be a famous conservative before you get on Twitter somehow, some way in order to have any influence, any say, any voice at all on there prior to the Elon Musk purchase. And if you're a Democrat, the interference is run for you by the algorithms, by the powers that be, by the moderators, by the fact checkers. You know, so do you have a whole bunch of people leaving the platform because they're all frustrated that, okay, well, you know, the refs are not in the bag anymore for our team. Do you have a whole bunch of people entering who had left because the refs are no longer in the bag for the Democrats? And that's a possibility. But the other possibility, again, it has everything to do with the prevalence of shadow banning. We're just going to suppress people's ability to see your content. You will not show up as somebody we recommend they follow. You, your tweets will not show up randomly in their feed based on how much traction they're getting. The algorithms will not treat you equally to them. We've identified your politics and we don't like them. And so people are just not going to see your stuff. It's not going to show up. Uh, I think a very, very similar thing has happened uh, with my content on Facebook and on Twitter. And that really has hurt my reach. Uh, I think it's likely that a very similar thing has happened with my book on Amazon 
And I think it has hurt my reach. I think it hurting my reach on Facebook and Twitter has hurt my reach with my book. So I write this book. And you know, it isn't to say that my book is an instant classic and it's must read and it's the best book that's ever been written on homeschooling. It's not to say that. But if it were, the leftists who have controlled the levers of power online would not let it through if they could help it. That's my take. It would have to be successful based on being promoted outside of their reach, outside of their control. Now, somebody would say, well, wait, look at the Daily Wire. Look Look at Matt Walsh going to the top of the bestsellers list with his book uh, on the walrus boy, the, the boy who identifies as a walrus. What about that? Okay, well, yes, you've got that. But like I said, you, you have to already be famous. You have to already be established. I don't think that they're letting new content and new creators uh, get off the ground because once they get off the ground, there's such an appetite for this, this kind of content. And I think that's part of why there is so much, uh, success for, let's say Matt Walsh's book. Uh, is it Johnny the Walrus? Is that right? Yeah. That's why there is so much success there is because there is so much pent up demand. And the reason there's so much pent up demand is because powers that be have been suppressing that content for years and the content creators for years. And so what you might find, (laughs) you might find uh, that once the fingers are taken off of the scales and once the shadow banning stops, it's a tidal wave. It's a domino effect throughout these other platforms as well. It could be, it could be. Time will tell, we'll see. Um, but that's really, you know, that right there is what I'm trying to get at in uh, yesterday's episode, content like that. I'm not trying to throw a pity party. I'm not trying to say, woe is me, feel very sorry for me, look at me. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to present myself as a martyr. Uh, what I am trying to say is I, I am trying to say in real terms, there are real people. There are real men and women who have invested themselves heavily for years in uh, trying to be successful, you know, if if the rules are such that it's extraordinarily easy to throw a penalty on them, uh, it has a cumulative effect. It has a, at a certain point, you, you, you can crush real people uh, just by playing with the algorithms here, just by controlling who will and will not uh, see them uh, or what people will see. Hey, we're going to allow some content to get through, but it's only going to be the content that we deem inoffensive. And by that, we mean we're going to highlight just like the media does. You know, here's a quick test on human nature and the way that this works for the left. Uh, Remember back when Trump was president, I don't know how many of you actually would listen to a full speech he might give or a full press conference he might give. But you listen to a five or 10 minute speech or interview and 
Most of it is just really great. And the one thing that could possibly be taken out of context and twisted and manipulated to sound as bad as Hitler, uh, the media would absolutely, like that, that would be their headline, all of the media, all together as if coordinated behind the scenes. And I think it was coordinated behind the scenes. That would be the headline to run with and just hammer that talking point again and again and again until that's all people can remember of the speech. In fact, that's all people will remember because that's as much of the speech as they took in. They didn't read the full speech. They wanted the quick soundbite. And enough of that over years, it is brainwashing. And it is not to our self-interest. It is not to our benefit. I mean, I, I really do wonder. I, I I really do wonder how many of my generation have been stymied. You know, how many of the next, I mean, it, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to 1973 and the Supreme Court ruling on Roe versus Wade. I mean, this is something that the pro-life crowd asks from time to time in trying to wake people up about how heinous abortion is. But how many inventors were aborted? How many great teachers? How many great authors? How many great works of art and poetry and music didn't come into being because we aborted the people who would have been creating those things? How many great ideas died uh, via abortion over the past 50 years? And really, truly... Next year, 2023, marks 50 years since Roe versus Wade. I hope we don't make it to 50 years. I hope that, just like this federal court that recently uh, refused to stay or overturn uh, this Texas anti-abortion law, uh, I hope that we see Roe versus Wade struck down and overturned because it was a bad decision. It was a bad call. It has led to the worst sin, the worst blotch on our national character. I, I refuse to hear leftists and progressives virtue signal and grandstand about the evils of slavery and the evils of what was done to Native Americans. Were there evils done? Absolutely. But stop changing the subject from abortion happening in our day. This is our moment. And what are you doing about it? You only want to talk about the evils that were done in the past because there's no cost. There's no cost. How about the evils being done right now, down the street, across town, in the next city over, all over this country? But a great many of our great people, our great leaders and thinkers and entrepreneurs and artists have probably been aborted. And somebody on the left, some crazy leftist says, well, you know, they were going to have a hard life, most of them. They weren't wanted. They weren't desired. They were going to have hard circumstances. So it's probably for the best. Well, you could let them decide that. They didn't even get a choice. They didn't even get a say. They didn't even get a chance. You decided because you were playing God. And you're still playing God. And you make a very bad God. I'm not going to worship you. Nobody should. But even those who have made it through and they weren't aborted and they've grown to adulthood and they've somehow run the gauntlet 
they've survived the minotaur of public education and pop culture, and they have some sense, and they understand some things, and they love wisdom and knowledge and truth and goodness and beauty, and they have something to say because they think that some things need said, some questions need asked, some points need made, some suggestions should be offered. And all of that is being decided online, and they're locked out of being able to weigh in, many of them, most of them, unless the foregone conclusion is being either supported actively or else passively allowed to stand unchallenged. And so how many great thinkers and writers, authors, artists, entrepreneurs have seen their success throttled back over the past 10, 15, 20 years, you're talking a whole generation, a whole generation of people my age, coming of age, over the past 10, 15 years in the internet age, young people who were raised on this stuff, consigned to be passive observers instead of active participants because Twitter, Facebook, Google, Amazon play gatekeeper. You know, what if the progressives are wrong? What if they're not actually progressing us? What if they're actually oppressing us and the whole world is the worst for it? You know, imagine, uh, and this is not bitterness on my part. Lord willing, we live and do this or that. And just like Joseph said to his brothers when he revealed himself, they didn't recognize him, but he was the second most powerful man in the whole world in that moment entrusted by Pharaoh to make the preparations for seven years of famine during seven years of plenty because God gave him the interpretation to Pharaoh's dream. What you meant for evil, God used for good. God intended for good. And it might just be that adversity makes the conservative leaders of tomorrow, conservative thinkers of tomorrow, conservative authors and artists of tomorrow, all the stronger for it. And meanwhile, the folks who were protected, nurtured, helped along, give it a boost artificially, at a certain point, uh, we realize just how artificial their influence was. How many bots make up these Democrat politicians' uh, social media presence? How much of this is just totally artificial, totally inflated? And and why do they do that? Why do you, why do you think it is that the bot thing is a problem? Because it creates its own gravitational pull on real people. And this is why I keep going even when I don't see the sales and I don't see my audience growing like I think it would or it should. I mean, imagine a scenario in which the person assigned to me, not like a guardian angel, but like a tormenting devil. (laughs) He looks at a couple of posts that I put out there and he sees a certain trajectory and he's seeing, Hey, this episode has this many listens and this many and then this many. And Oh, look at this. Look at, We've got some problematic thoughts in here. I think we need to throttle this guy. So we're going to we just throw in some bugs. 
We're going to throw some tax strips down in the road, digitally speaking, algorithmically speaking. And when people try and click into his content, it'll just fail to load half the time. That'll slow him down. And we're just going to decide that half of these listens go away. Half of these listeners go away. There's some weird stuff that happens like this. I mean, I'm not just making this stuff up. There's some weird things that have been reported on all of the big tech platforms where you go to look at how many views your video had uh, yesterday and then you look today and for some weird reason, the number has been cut dramatically, drastically. We're not talking like the rate of increase has been cut dramatically. We're talking about the overall number is cut dramatically. And you're like, wait a second, what? What happened there? Well, it's algorithmically driven and somebody tweaks the algorithm for you to keep your content from showing up and also to make it look like you're not very popular. Nobody likes you. Nobody's listening. No one can hear you. And meanwhile, on the flip side, what happens algorithmically and also psychologically and in terms of mass psychology, it's called the Jones effect, right? What happens when somebody you guys like, you leftists, somebody you like is running for office and you can put your finger on the scales in terms of how many followers it looks like they have. And I myself, I have no way of verifying that these are all actual followers. But if you can run the headline that your Democrat politician running for office in my district picked up 100,000 followers in a single day, and meanwhile his Republican opponent lost 10,000 followers after giving a speech or an interview or after a debate, you can actually draw real people to your Democrat candidate because they think he's already popular. And he doesn't have to actually be. You could just totally fudge this, just like voting machines can be tampered with. You could totally fudge how many actual listeners, how many actual followers, how many actual views, how many actual reads, how many actual page visits somebody has or gets. You could just boost it arbitrarily based on who you like and who you don't like. You could boost it or you could suppress it or you could do the shadow banning thing or you could put somebody on blast. And we know that Twitter and Facebook insiders have come forward in recent years to say, yeah, that absolutely happens. The algorithm is driving this story to be the most popular and that looks bad on Democrats and leftist causes. So we're actually going to take that one off and we're going to claim we're concerned about bots because we just can't believe, we can't imagine, we can't comprehend, or we don't want to, the possibility that this is actually what people are interested in and it actually is going to be driving the decisions that are made in the coming months and years. We can't allow that to happen. Not on our watch. And meanwhile, over here, this is non-interesting. This is a non-story, but we're going to say that it's trending. We'll say that it's trending and then it will be trending because we said that it was trending. It'll be trending because we said that it was trending and it becomes a self-sustaining thing at a certain point. 
That's why the left is freaking out about Elon Musk buying Twitter, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if he's successful, this is a possibility. I'm not saying this is a foregone conclusion, but it's a possibility that some of these jokers turn out to be that man behind the curtain. And what I mean by that is the great and powerful Oz is not who he at first appears to be. His reputation precedes him in The Wizard of Oz. And when Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion come into that great hallway, they see this giant green hologram in smoke and a booming voice over the loudspeakers. And it's very impressive. And there's a lot of a lot of production value put into making the great and powerful Oz as scary and intimidating and powerful in their minds as possible. <clears throat> and then Toto starts sniffing around. And Toto peels back the curtain. And yes, theosophical influences in the story, notwithstanding, that's a whole other topic. Frank Elbaum was a theosophist. The whole thing was an allegory. Creepy the more you dig into it, by the way. But for the sake of the topic and time, Toto starts peeling back that curtain and they look over and it's like, this is just a wrinkly old man pushing buttons and pulling levers and trying to make himself seem a lot bigger and stronger and scarier than he actually is. And actually, as it turns out, he's kind of a clumsy trickster. Not all that impressive, actually. Actually kind of pitiful. And so, yeah, maybe they'll listen to him anyways. Maybe he still has, you know, some ability to make it happen, to make it to where Dorothy can get home again. But that conversation they have with him takes a very, very sharp turn once they realize that he is not that projection larger than life in the smoke He's actually just this little man. And so what we might find, if Elon is successful with Twitter and that does cause a chain reaction, we might find that some of these people who had massive followings and they were so influential and they were making the news, making the headlines left and right and all the time, and everybody's hanging on every stupid word they say, they actually turn out to be not popular they're actually not popular. You were told they were popular so that you conservatives with a better idea would shut up and give up and slink away. Keep it to yourselves. Feel embarrassed. And so that the miscreants in your midst would be all the bolder because they think they're on the right side of history. Watch to see how they handle it when it turns out it was a mirage. It was an illusion. There was a lot of smoke and mirrors and sleight of hand. It was a circus act. We've all been hypnotized and brainwashed. And I think a lot of folks, they might not be so savvy because they checked out a long time ago. They gave up on these social media platforms long ago because they figured it's not for them. It's toxic. Well, why is it toxic? It's toxic in part because we were all experimented on and we were being manipulated. And you weren't actually having honest conversations with people that you know because they were being manipulated. They were being primed and conditioned to be at odds with you if you had a conservative idea. There's a lot of 
really weird things that can tip people in a certain direction to be more aggressive towards you or more conciliatory towards your point of view based on what is shown immediately before and after. We can condition people. And the folks running the board of directors at Twitter, why do you think they're in those positions? It's not because they own so much. It's not because they're going to guide and direct this company to be profitable financially first and foremost. It's because they're going to be adept at making decisions that help manipulate the masses, create this brave new world, bring about this utopian vision for humanity. What if, maybe just maybe, when we, when we hear something that AOC says and we're like, that is really dumb, how in the world is she a congresswoman? Maybe what you find out is it's not just voting machines that can be tampered with, but the voting machines upstream are Twitter followers and headlines that derive their validity, so-called, from the fact that Twitter followers are there and there's an appearance of popularity and bigness and importance and representation. There's an appearance of representation by virtue of falsely inflated numbers of followers. And on the flip side, what if all of a sudden you find out that there's a whole lot of really, really good content and content creators, and there's a lot of very reasonable people who sound as smart and original as AOC sounds dumb or Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is another one. It's like, it, you know, it, it, it's like the plot of some twisted fairy tale from centuries ago that Disney would have cleaned up and used to push grooming of children. But it's like the Wicked Witch, who every morning her beauty regimen is just to drink the blood of virgins and newborn babies. And that keeps her looking as young as possible, but she's still, you know, just like there's something weird about her, right? It's like that, where you have these old people who are way past their prime, who've enriched themselves and their families at the American taxpayer's expense, claiming to be representative. And if they can silence anybody who sounds smarter or who has a point of criticism about their voting record or their business dealings or their connections or how their husband or son has ended up on the governing board of some foreign oil and gas company without any experience whatsoever in that sector, how hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in quote unquote speaking fees have ended up in their pockets from foreign donors, from Saudi princes and mullahs and the wives of Russian mayors. You know, we, we start asking those kinds of questions and all of a sudden maybe this person is not getting voted back in again and again and again until they're 103 and keel over. Maybe just maybe what you find is the AOCs were totally inflated. They were totally artificial, totally fake. And a lot of folks were following them because they thought that they were popular because those people are stupid. It's argumentum ad populum but in a very, very subtle and implied sort of a way. And then once the spell is broken, once it's broken with Twitter, and this is where I think some people are just like, well, it's just Twitter. Right? There's still 
the problem with Facebook. There's still the problem with Google. There's still the problem with YouTube. Still the problem with Amazon and Amazon Web Services. Yes, that's true. But once the spell is broken with Twitter, then it has to break. And those hard questions, the opening of the books with Twitter has to lead to some opening of the books with Facebook and Google and YouTube and Amazon. It just has to. And pretty soon what you find, maybe, hopefully, by God's grace, is that we actually have a great many people who are very passionate about truth and goodness and beauty objectively. We have some very original content creators who have artistic ability. They have an ability to write. They have some great ideas for our education system or the way that we educate our children. Maybe not with a system. Maybe we need to rethink approaching this like a system. Maybe they have some great ideas for technology and for business and for how our government should run. Maybe they have some great ideas for how journalism should work and operate in the future. And maybe it, maybe independent journalism is the way that it should be and it should not be the wealthiest men in the world gobbling up all of the news stations. I mean, look at CNN Plus falling on its face. That's a good sign. That's positive. Nobody wants to watch it. Hmm. Curious. How about that? And look at the crazy leftists at Twitter bursting into tears, openly crying. You know, the lead lawyer, lead legal counsel for Twitter literally broke down in tears over Elon Musk buying Twitter. Well, that would seem to be a good sign. I think things are going well. <laughs> you know, what if? What if this is the turning of the tide? I don't know that I'm going to see a massive increase in followers. I'm not even allowed on the platform, which could mean that I'm totally insignificant. Uh, I don't want to have a Napoleon com uh, complex. And suppose that, ah, oh, you know, like I could be the next great man. It could just be like nobody notices because what you have to say is actually not that great. Uh, that's possible. That's possible. Um, but it's also possible, though, that some of the folks who've been allowed to be popular and successful among conservatives, for one, they had to work really, really, really hard. And they had to already be successful, as I said before. They had to be successful in a way that the gatekeepers couldn't stop them. Uh, but for another thing, there's a, there's a possibility that the really, really dangerous conservative ideas, the really, really potent and powerful and compelling conservative voices have not been heard because they were recognized, they were identified, they were flagged early on as being a major threat. And they were, in a digital sense, in online internet world, aborted. Is that possible? I think it's possible. I think it's more than possible. If not true with regards to me, at least broadly, generally true. It has to be. I mean, even looking at Elon Musk, Elon Musk was the darling of the left when he was content to stick to Tesla and SpaceX. It was only 
when he got red-pilled with the way that the state of California was relating to his company, and he moved to Texas, and then all of a sudden he starts criticizing crazy leftists, tweeting back to Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. I loved his tweet to Bernie Sanders, by the way. And Bernie is like making much of Elon Musk being so wealthy and not paying his fair share or whatever. Elon Musk replies with, Oh, are you still alive? <laughs> I forgot you were still alive. Like, ouch. Ouch. But the knives are out now that he has bought Twitter. Ooh, buddy. So it's do or die now. And that, I think, tells us everything we need to know. You know, it, it, here, here's, the, here's the big question, the hypothetical that's always posed from an ethical standpoint, a moral standpoint. It goes like this. If you had a chance to jump in a time machine and go back in time and kill baby Hitler, would you do it if it meant saving millions of lives, avoiding a whole lot of destruction? Would you do it? Would you go back in time and, and kill baby Hitler? Would you kill his parents so that he wouldn't even be conceived, wouldn't even be born in the first place? Would you abort baby Hitler? Well, the crazy leftists uh, who don't fear God and who don't recognize that God is God and God sovereignly allowed Hitler and that doesn't decrease God's righteousness, his goodness. If we think otherwise, it's our righteousness and goodness that is deficient, not God's. But look at the way that leftists answer that question with regards to Hitler and the way that they answer that question even with regards to just children who are not wanted. On the, on the off chance that they might someday grow up to be poor, mentally ill, criminals, abusers of substances, listless, unhappy, abort them. We're doing them and the world a favor. Well, that same kind of thinking is so easily transplanted into the online world, and it explains what they've been doing to conservatives for years. And if they can, if they can nip a conservative voice in the bud, in any of the ways that that conservative voice might turn into a movement and might turn into a major influence in society, if they can nip that conservative voice in the bud early, the earlier the better. If we can get this person when they just have a couple dozen followers or a couple hundred, a couple hundred followers, if we can take them out early, well, then we can just pass the whole thing off as I did, nobody was interested. Their content was just not very good. You know, it's like when I was <clears throat> taking English 102 in college, in community college, in high school. I think it was English 102. It might have been English 103. But I'm taking this English course, and my professor was definitely a child of the 60s and 70s and very much a feminist. And I decided to do my final paper on the representation of boys and men in 90s sitcoms. And what effect does that have on the way that boys and men in our society think of themselves? I think it's hurt them psychologically. I think it's hurt them socially. I think it's hurt them mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And I had the receipts. I had done the research. I had done a lot of research on studies that had been conducted regarding boys and men growing up with a father figure who they respected, what that did for them, 
how that made them more successful. I wrote this big thing and I was so proud of it and I was sure that it was good and sound and she gave me a D, ladies and gentlemen. And again, I'm not a martyr, but this has, this has happened for years and decades in the educational system. And then you take the same sorts of people who make those calls, who pick winners and losers in the education system. And this is also, by the way, not coincidentally why I'm encouraging all of my children to not go to college to where those gatekeepers also are going to take your money and then also either force you to conform to their crazy ideas or else they will torpedo your success in life. They'll keep your money, but they will definitely torpedo you. At a minimum, they're not going to help you and they're going to make this guy over here who's an idiot but a yes man to them. They're going to make that idiot successful and a winner. And you, well, better settle in. Maybe look into this job opening for janitor. And it isn't to say we should be too good to be janitors, but it is to say there's some funny business. There's dirty dealings. When the same folks that gave me a D, those same kinds of folks who gave me a D on that paper in English 102, end up being put in charge of determining whether your tweet should be seen, whether your account should be followed, whether your podcast should be listened to, whether your book should be showing up in search results when people look for homeschooling books. Just saying. I'm just saying. That's all the time I got for this episode, though. That's long enough. More to come. You can be sure. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.